Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Savo Knott, co-founder and CEO of Pieces. Pieces is an AI-driven software company that builds a platform to enable software developers to work more efficiently. Savo joins us on today's program to talk about the ways that new and emerging AI tools can help streamline workflows for developers from making their work histories more accessible to bridging gaps between their work and their fellow stakeholders and design workflows. This is the first of a three-part series of podcasts sponsored by Pieces talking about the impact of AI in development workflows. We'll have more details on upcoming episodes in the outro to today's show. But without further ado, here's our conversation. Sabo, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, chatting about some of this stuff. Absolutely. Now, in terms of developers, they're a very, very interesting profession, at least, you know, across industries. And there's also this aspect of what happens for individual developers really tells us a lot about what's going on in the enterprise and the best way for those workflows to manage themselves. Just from what you're seeing on the developer side, what do you see as the biggest challenges currently facing enterprise developers in their leadership? Yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting question because I think, you know, for developers at large, it's, a, it's an interesting time to be in that field. You've got a ton of stuff going on regarding generative AI. I know we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the blending roles between development and design. And also, too, you know, we've been working in this world where you have a lot of developers working asynchronously across the globe. And so, you know, I think that the challenges are, are various in nature, but the number one challenge is just that everything is moving faster. You know, technology is moving faster than ever, even down to the amount of documentation that's getting written is just ballooning in size and volume. And so, you know, for a developer, be it in enterprise or an individual setting, they're trying to cover so much more surface area these days, right? And so, you know, I, I think the challenge is for every new framework update or for every new platform that you have to ship for iOS, Android, web, you know, Mac OS, Linux, et cetera, just the, the ground that they have to cover is becoming extensive, if you will. And also the difficulty of the technology is, is going up. So, you know, things are moving faster. There's more ground to cover. There's uh, deeper tech that has to get deployed and the bar continues to be raised when it comes to the experiences that consumers expect. And then on top of that, you know, you have larger teams and teams are becoming more integrated than ever. So, you know, I would sum it up as uh, nothing short of chaos. And I think like the end uh, result is how do developers navigate this chaos, right? How do they kind of keep up? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just in terms of what you were saying there, in terms of like technology you know, layering up the entire process, adding more to the overall volume that needs to be covered. We see AI playing a big role in that, not only in AI being part of the solution, but also being part of the problem in terms of layering up that code, correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, so the the volume of code that's getting written is now, you know, probably increasing by a, a step function of two to three with these generative solutions. And so, you know, your code base is, is ballooning, as I mentioned. And so, you know, I think that creates productivity in one regard, but it also creates a side effect of chaos in another regard. So, you know, because it's accelerating so fast, 
how do you make sure that developers are keeping up with this rate, you know, double checking things, the quality of the product stays intact. And then also too, just, you know, going back and forth with your design team to make sure, hey, look, we're not having scope creep or we're still on target or things like that. So speed being introduced into, you know, this whole process can actually be a dangerous thing. I think, yeah, you'll have gains on productivity, but if things move too fast, then that's also a little, you know, uh, needle you have to thread. Absolutely. Also, in terms of the enterprise, I know developers, and this this just comes from my background, my last job working from an AI vendor, developers are particularly difficult to replace in terms of their skill sets, what workflows they were working on. And we also know that turnover is very, very intense. I'm wondering also just about kind of the day-to-day kind of labor turnover challenges in this space as well. Yeah, you know, I think that you're spot on there with your question. You know, we've talked to a lot of VPs of Eng and, and kind of CTOs and, and so on. And they said, you know, their number one problem that they're experiencing regarding turnover is they used to keep developers for, call it, a couple of years, you know, 30 months. Now it's really starting to look like they're keeping developers for 13, right? So a much smaller window. And so that means that you need to onboard developers faster, get them up to speed quicker and have them to that level of contribution and productivity that doesn't really kind of slow down the ball. And so it's another interesting and nuanced problem there because your your volume of code is going way up. That whole existing process is already moving incredibly fast. So how do you get a new developer in and up to that velocity as, as fast as you can? Absolutely. And we've covered a couple of the challenges for individual workflows. They bleed on up through the macroeconomics, through the enterprises. I think we've covered that, especially uh, in terms of turnover and how we see a lot of tech adding <laughs> layers of tech debt to the very job of development. But just concerning individual workflows and what developers deal with day in and day out, what do you see as the biggest challenges there, regardless of industry, for the individual developer? Yeah, so, you know, a couple of really simple examples are, you know, reading documentation. So, you know, there's, you know, more than ever things are getting documented because you can also write technical documentation now with generative AI. That is absolutely ballooning. You have asynchronous work. So you have, you know, code that you have to review, messages that you have to catch up on, emails that you have to, you know, go through. And so the number of touch points, digital touch points that developers have to interact with is going up as a side effect of just these increasing workflow paces. So, so for an individual, you know, oftentimes you're left at the end of the day with 50, maybe 100 tabs open. You've got your IDE, you know, you're trying to keep up with the conversation going on in Slack. And so it's, again, nothing short of chaos. But what this represents is that work in progress journey, right? So the atomic kind of interactions that you're having, the sources that you're reading, the code that you're iterating on, the people that you're talking to, that's a big part of an individual developer's hour by hour, day by day workflow. And there's a lot of volume to that, right? So if you could imagine, you know, because tech is moving faster, the framework that you're using to build is updating sooner. So now you got to go and you got to make sure you're keeping up with breaking changes or you're keeping up with the latest tech stack or the best practices or things like that, because everything is just moving faster now. And I would say to add to that, you're getting, you know, I would say PMs and, and you know, product leaders and, and managers, they have an expectation that, you know, developers are moving faster because, you know, the industry is saying, hey, look, we expect you to move faster. We introduced all this tech. We want to see our team at that velocity or that individual hitting those benchmarks. And so developers are certainly pressed to keep up. And the last thing is they're jumping around, right? So open source has been a big contributor 
to everything that's going on. They've got their, you know, their work stuff. They've got their open source stuff. Maybe they're doing some side projects. So the context switching as well is, is pretty, pretty insane, to be honest. Absolutely. And just with what we were talking about before, with kind of the, the two ends of these continental railroads coming together between design and development, that context switching, that jumping around that you mentioned is getting more intense than ever because we don't really know where the ball is going to land necessarily in terms of those workflows in design and development. But maybe we can illuminate with with some of our answers here. Uh, I'm wondering, especially in that area, in for what we were talking about in terms of giving individual developers a greater sense or at least having a tool that has a greater sense of what's happening outside the browser and all the context that's important from outside the individual program to accomplish the task. How are business leaders, especially supervisors in development teams, using data tools to solve some of these problems? I think that, you know, what we're seeing is, I mean, of course, you're having a, you know, a new wave of tools that are standalone that, you know, you can use as kind of a a glue between things. But I think that you're also seeing a large wave of tools that are in between other tools, right? And so really trying to sit between, you know, what you're doing in the IDE, what you're doing in the browser, what you're doing in those collaborative environments to kind of be a cohesive and connective layer to kind of get that developers back and capture some of that, you know, you know, work in progress stuff. So, you know, kind of speaking towards some of the stuff we're building, that's exactly our goal here at Pieces is to be a tool between tools, deeply utilize AI to understand, hey, of all the pages, you know, that you have open in in the browser, all the tabs or all the code that you're visiting in your IDE or all the people that you're talking to, you know, what is relevant? What's important? What what context do we need to capture so that, you know, if you are onboarding a new teammate, you can share that context with them and they can pick up where you left off faster or you can pick up where you left off faster, you know? So I might jump from one project, be on that for six months and then jump to another project. And a year later, I'm circling back to the original one. I'm like, where do I, you know, jump back in? And so I think, you know, the goal is not necessarily trying to replace or do any certain part of that workflow better, but more so just capture it and try and keep up with the volume of materials that people are, are interacting with and just have that available for the developer. Absolutely. And just to put even a, a finer point on the process and, and what it looks like, it might help to even clarify what that receipt looks like when someone's handing off their workflow or, or a project. Let's say a developer leaves I'm their supervisor. What does that final product in terms of a record look like so that I can help train new developers to pick up right where they left off? Yeah, so, you know, I think one of the problems that we're we're certainly trying to address is, you know, the the final result today is developers will go through all of these processes either on their own or in a small team and they'll, you know, create an output that is a a code base and it's committed and it's, you know, uh, deployed to customers. However, that code base that's checked in at the end of the sprint and that's that final production code oftentimes lacks the nitty gritty details of how did you get to that end code base, right? What sites did you visit? What decisions did you make? Who did you talk to? Where did you iterate on the designs? And and so that work in progress journey is, is, quite often lost. So with pieces, for example, you know, we're really focused on making sure we're capturing the how a developer got there so that when you're bringing a new developer onto the team, you can share that how in addition to the what. The what is very well captured today. It's the end code base, but how that code base came to be, right, and everything that went into it, that's what we're focused on. So 
as you use pieces and you, you know, research in the browser, you problem solve, you write code and you refactor code in the IDE and you collaborate with your teammates. It's just picking up on all those relevant touch points and saving that is as kind of like a hub or a drive and all that context, all the materials you're interacting with is saved so that a new developer comes in and already they can ask, you know, the co-pilot, you know, saying, hey, how do I do this? Or who do I talk to to solve this problem? And they don't have to, you know, create that that hub themselves. They're just going to transfer that knowledge right to, to their drive. And now they're picking up fluidly where you left off. So it's about having that drive repository and also being able to run the analytics on it, predictive capacities, run the LLM on it, all the features of that co-pilot. So the co-pilot is feeding from what's in the drive and all of that context, not just the final result, but also how they got there to help train those new team members. And I just even want to get a sense of you know the amount of control, I guess, on the admin side for that among the supervisor. In what ways can they kind of shape that training or be able to control that context in order to you know, get across exactly what this person was working on before they left. Yeah. So, you know, one thing to note that's that's pretty important there is we are leveraging, you know, micro models and Llama 2 to have all of this stuff kind of on device and, you know, air gapped and secure. I think that's super important to note. The second thing is that, you know, if I'm a pieces user, I, you know, open up my my company workspace or my project workspace and I just go along my workflow. And so, you know, I'm saving things to pieces, I'm, I'm interacting and sharing things from pieces to others, and I'm, I'm talking to my co-pilot. So this is really starting to build up a persisted knowledge base, if you will, that represents my workflow and, and how I get things done and related links, related people, related sample code, et cetera. And so basically what happens is, you know, say I leave and I go to another project, that user's going to come in and they're going to start with my hub, right, my drive. It'll be transferred to them. So they might ask that co-pilot, hey, you know, how do I get into this database model or who do I talk to to do some pair programming with this? And that hub is already still aware of the previous user. So it has all that knowledge that it aggregated over time. And because this is kind of like an air-gapped, you know, large language model on device, you don't have to worry about that getting lost, you know, or or not being persisted on an account basis. So I think it's really easy for us to transfer workspaces from me and to others, and then also to create shared workspaces that are continuously getting, you know, consolidated against everything that everyone is doing. So yeah, in essence, it's just knowledge transfer through these large language models as you use pieces. Absolutely. And we're seeing this on the end of design softwares. I've been an Adobe Creative Suite subscriber for a very long time now. We just had the Figma dev mode recent release. And in these tools, you see a lot more uh, functionality geared towards development work. And I'm wondering how this looks, at least from the development side. This is not only impacting developers and design workflows, but how are business leaders using data tools to drive developer workflows where they cross over from design? Yeah, you know, for us, we we just take a look at the digital supply chain that goes into building products, right? And there's so much crossover between dev and design and the, the iteration cycles are becoming tighter, right? And so, you know, Figma, as you mentioned, they released that dev mode. And so developers are now able to interact with designers and ask designers, hey, for this component, do you have some boilerplate code? Do you have a, a sample snippet that Figma generated? And so I think that 
the interaction rate between developers and designers is going to go way up. And also the code getting exchanged is, is going to become, you know, more, more fluid. And so I think, you know, now keeping track of, hey, look, I'm, a, I'm an independent developer and I've already got all this stuff going on and it's already moving very fast. You add a designer to that who's now generating snippets and sharing technical resources with you, et cetera. It kind of just adds to that chaos. So pieces for us, you know, it's going to be really important to, you know, cater towards what designers need to save. And as they iterate with developers and, and for developers, we're going to be really focused on bridging the gap between how designers work and developers work and making sure those materials that transfer between those exchanges don't get lost. And so, yeah, I would just say now you're throwing together, you know, two massive parts of the digital supply chain. And, and it's just going to, again, create even more kind of chaos, but also faster paced, you know, iteration. So I think the need to capture that iteration is, is becoming more and more prevalent. Right, right. And, and what do you think of the ways that these tools can help designers maybe see the world a little bit more through the lens of developers or how these tools maybe can be used to move designers to front end developers in terms of their workflow? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the Figma dev mode and, and, you know, other features and functionalities that are similar and coming down the pipeline, I don't think that it's reasonable to, to think you're going to throw a designer into a large code base or that you're going to sure. take a developer and throw them into a design environment like Figma. I think you'll see a little bit of that, but I think that designers are going to interact with small functional bits of code, you know, snippets, and, and they're going to stay in Figma. They're going to generate that stuff, save it, send it to someone else. And I think that they're going to help that front-end developer, you know, get a jump on the implementation. And for the developer, I think that it's really a matter of referencing. So, you know, by having both a visual representation of what that end implementation should look like and a code snippet to say, hey, look, you know, this is really where it should be along these lines. I think they're going to be saving a lot more from the designer as that designer sends both the visual and the technical kind of implementation that they're expecting. So I actually think that it'll affect developers less, but it will it will be really interesting because designers are going to be inherently interested in, you know, pushing developers to get that head start saying, hey, here's a bunch of snippets, here's, you know, an existing implementation or, or whatnot. So I think, yeah, developers previously would have had to ask for those things. And I think pro designers are going to start proactively giving those things along with the designs. So, yeah, it sounds like as more of their workflows become integrated, I, I think there's going to be an influx of defaults of, of templates that are going to be built around certain design needs that get translated into development needs, vice versa. I think you're going to see a lot more of that in recent years, and it's going to help to have tools that are equally built not just for the enterprise, but also your individual use. Hey, I did all this stuff in freelance. Actually, I think this could help us out right now. And I have this tool that went all the way back to my freelance period to say this worked when I when I did this crazy you know contract job for somebody else. Maybe it'll it'll work here. So to have that kind of agnosticism from your specific work environment, I think will be a, a really big advantage. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to add to that, like we mentioned earlier, developers are jumping around a lot, especially with the advent yeah. of open source. And I think like, you know, you're totally right. I could be working on an open source project and have seen an implementation or a UI or, or some type of visual aesthetic that I really liked. And I know when I was working on that, I saved a, a bunch of things to pieces. 
pieces now has that captured. It's aware. It understands the sites that I visited, you know, how I kind of went about that process. And then six months later, I find myself in a deja vu situation. And now I'm just looking into pieces and I'm saying, hey, you know, let me go quickly reference that resource versus trying to find that one website that you visited six months ago. So pieces is just capturing the right stuff. And again, reference, reuse, it comes up, you know, developer and designer processes are super cyclic. So I think like, you know, saving things in anticipation that you're going to need it later and then having pieces aware of the context around those things that you're saving, be it as a designer or as a developer is just super helpful to kind of jump back in and pick up where you left off. Absolutely. And in speaking of picking up where we left off, I always love these conversations about something we know is going to happen, these kind of two ends of the Continental Railroad we've been talking about, because when that future arrives where where developers, maybe the dust settles from from this collision between the two workflows, we're going to have a, those templates might already be in place that we were talking about before. It's going to make an even more interesting conversation for how tools like this get used and where we're seeing that dust settle. Savo, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Hopefully people enjoy this and it was great to riff on some of these things. It's going to be a wild world out there for sure. Absolutely. Now that you've heard from the platform side of the table in terms of developer challenges, Stay tuned for our November 16th episode of the AI and Business Podcast, where we'll have Jason Wells, Chief Technology Officer at Pattern, who you may remember their Chief Revenue Officer, John LeBaron, was previously on the show talking about AI solutions for e-commerce. Jason will be on the show talking about the benefits of AI-enhanced developer workflows and what that means for those who manage development teams. So stay tuned for that episode. Again, that's November 16th, coming up in the next few weeks. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 